You're listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Becca, and today I'm speaking with Amy Lewis, a PhD student in music education at Michigan State University, community activist, and current JMU Music Cultural Connections artist in residence. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. All right, so let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing right now. Yes. So I am in my third year at Michigan State University. I am in my dissertation proposal mode. And um, I am at JMU for all week. And and I've been participating with uh, facilitated discussions and sessions that surround uh, critical race theory and anti-racism education. That's great. So you're a PhD student. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the research you're working on right now. Like, what's your current project? Right. So my dissertation project is focused on critical race theory. And what I will be doing is I'll have practicing music teachers from the mid-Michigan area. And we are going to develop a professional development community. And so within that professional development community, uh, the participants will engage with critical race theory readings. We will um, have different discussions and reflections, and um, I will also observe them and interview them. And what I am examining is I am looking at how their understanding of critical race theory may or may not influence the way that they teach. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So the professional development community will meet face-to-face at least eight times um, over the course of uh, two, two and a half months, and um, we'll see what the data says. So you're focusing more on the teaching professionals rather than the students? Yeah. So that, that'll be my main focus. So I'm looking at this professional development community or this per- professional learning community and seeing how the, um, uh, their understanding of race and racism through the lens of critical race theory may or may not influence uh, their teaching. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, I got to get the proposal done first. Yes. <laughs> On the way. There's so many steps. <laughs> so what got you interested in this kind of project? Yeah. So my, this is a great question. I'm going to start with where I grew up. And I grew up in a predominantly white suburb, and I was afforded many resources uh, within my childhood um, based on the zip code in which I lived and what my parents um, did their best to provide for me and uh, their hard work. Um, and I also have a twin sister and many other, many, many siblings as well, and Within, like, my twin sister and I, our experience growing up in this particular zip code, like, I would see my cousins and, and 
other folks that look like me. They didn't necessarily have uh, the same resources like in their schools. And so as I grew up in high school and in college and started to understand how there are different structures and systems within our within our society that make um, that make something like education unfair just based on your zip code, right? And then some of the other explicit racial um, disparities within our within our system and growing up being told, oh, no, racism isn't a thing. If we could just be colorblind and uh, not talk about race, then, you know, it just doesn't exist. It's like, wait a second. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> and and so I started to ask questions and I became a music teacher And whenever I taught in the public schools, I was still asking questions uh, because there were some things that just didn't quite make sense. And so that took me to um, pursuing my Ph.D. in music education and being at Michigan State, um, my advisor, Juliet Hess, she is an anti-racist scholar and um, her she does um, incredible work that that's focused on um, naming race and racism and uh, trying to break down these structures and barriers. And so that got me to thinking, I'm like, okay, I want to learn everything I can and um, maybe and, and find a way to have these conversations be directly applicable to our practicing music teachers and hopefully teachers in general. Uh, yeah. That sounds great. It sounds like you've got a lot of support from your faculty. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> what other departments do you find yourself working with in this kind of research? Yeah, so uh, the School school of Ed as well. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with um, Dr. Carter Andrews in the School of Ed. Um, I, I got to learn from her. I took a class with her uh, last year, and that helped me kind of situate this idea of racial identity development and what that means within um, within schools and how students identify themselves and kind of that journey. Do you see how the teachers identify themselves, affecting how the students identify themselves in that way? So um, uh, the class was mostly focused on student within racial identity development, uh, but these theories can definitely be applied to anybody mm-hmm. and people can yeah, reflect within that. So your previous work includes a project focused on racial inclusivity with a community choir. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And is that what pushed you towards your current project? Yeah, that definitely helped shape what I wanted to do um, with my dissertation project. So this opportunity was um, I, I, I learned quite a bit. I was um, afforded the opportunity to to engage with a particular community choir um, in the Mid Michigan area that wanted to increase their racial diversity. They looked at themselves and were doing some deep reflections and said, "Hey, if we're supposed to be a social justice choir." 
if we look at what we're doing and we look at the makeup, it's mostly almost all white and people of color that the women of color that come through, you know, may not aren't aren't necessarily retained, you know, um, and don't come back. So let's let's ask some questions and see what see what the barriers are that are preventing people of color from coming and staying in. And so we did, um, I worked with uh, a committee within that choir and developed a survey and um, some tools on which to practice like self-reflection as individuals and trying to get to a space where we all recognize that on some levels that we uh, work to maintain different systems um, that may be oppressive, especially if they benefit the individual. So trying to do activities where the um, where the members of the choir could identify what's going on to that prevent people of color from coming in and creating music. And so within that experience, um, talked about how inclusion is not just about having more people in in the seats, right? It's not just about having different, uh, like more black or brown individuals in the seats. It's about truly identifying the structures and being critical of what created the uh, exclusion to begin with. And if we're able to recognize that and break those down, then um, we'll be able to hopefully have a more welcoming space uh, for that choir. That's impressive. That sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, they were amazing. Uh, it was a, um, a good group of uh, women that I worked with. You know, they were open. They wanted to be provocative. Um, um, yeah. So is that kind of community engagement, like, your specialty, like, your favorite kind of thing to work with? Or where, where, <laughs> do, you, where do you want to go? Um, I don't know what my specialty is, but I can tell you what brings me the most amount of joy. And being in community um, and people with people uh, brings me the most joy. Being in conversation and dialogue and asking questions um, and going on a journey to try and find common ground and find whatever answers that we're looking for and then continuing to question those answers, kind of like a never-ending cycle. But nonetheless, being in in the community um, and and um, not necessarily just within the walls of the university. Okay, cool. What would be your ideal project to work on? Uh, my ideal project to work on is definitely the one that I am preparing now. Okay. And for my dissertation where I get to work with music teachers that um, – you know, work tirelessly. Um, uh, and, you know, I would open that up to all educators, um, all all teachers. <laughs> and, and having us recognize the importance of, of 
understanding race and racism and what that means within education. It's tough. There are many teachers that feel as though their hands are tied within the K-12 system and even non-tenured faculty and even some tenured faculty. They feel as though they can't say what it is that uh, they feel is important in regards to provoking critical thought surrounding race because there's the fear of very real consequences for for those uh, provocative discussions in class, which is unfortunate. And so that's why I am excited about this project to kind of see and explore how these music teachers um, um, address race or address uh, their understanding of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And I would add other um, projects that um, can include activism and include organizations like Black Lives Matter into schools. Um, I've had a, I've had the um, uh, the pleasure and opportunity to learn from uh, the Black Lives Matter Lansing. Um, chapter uh, members and um, um, the two incredible women that um, organized and founded the chapter in Lansing. And I've been able to work with them and learn from them to see, you know, how it is that they are able to connect with community and help the community um, grow and uh, build coalitions for for systemic change. How do you see your work impacting the like your industry today? Like, what's your vision mm. for what's going to happen with the work that you're doing? Come on, yeah, I appreciate that question. So, my vision for back to music education, is to have a, a profession that is um, that engages um, with race and racism in a way that is explicit and not in a way where, you know, like, oh, no, we don't want to talk about that because that makes me uncomfortable or that makes me feel threatened or things of that nature. I want us to get to a space where we can talk about some of the problematic structures within how we teach and engage music and only certain types of music. And I do think that there's going to be... um, Today, I feel optimistic. You know, tomorrow, ask me again. But maybe like in 10 years, you know, hopefully these discussions will manifest into material changes where we can have... Um, space for multiple types of, uh, for more types of music making. I like that music making more times. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you talked a little bit about how you moved through the school system. Did you find that getting into academia and getting into your PhD program was hard because of what you wanted to look at? Or was it like smooth sailing the whole way? Uh, no, definitely not smooth. <laughs> uh, graduate school is its own experience with its own challenges. And the way that I have 
been able to navigate and stay afloat is through the community, uh, my community within Lansing, um, my family community and my partner um, and my cohort. Um, they have all been a part of me staying afloat and will hopefully help me to um, uh, find the end of the dissertation to get to a space of completion. Yeah. Do you ever think that your research will be complete? Oh, so like complete is, yeah, no, no. <laughs> what, what is complete? <laughs> yeah. What, what is finite is, <laughs> does not exist. But I will get to a space where my dissertation will be done I don't know when that will be. I'm going to, I am hoping for uh, summer of 2019, um, but you never know. Um, and thinking about what is um, complete or, you know, the work that I, I engage with and that many other uh, researchers engage with and many other people engage with, um, I think one of the goals that I would want is for our society to um, find a space where um, where we're able to explicitly recognize um, the awful ways that marginalized um, people are treated and uh, explicitly work towards fixing that. You know, yeah. it's, it's um, um, even though that uh, sounds abstract and is not concrete, um, like, how do you measure that? Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but um, it starts with being able to at least visualize and speak it so that we can continue to kind of flesh out these ideas so that we can get to a space where we can name a cron concrete, um, the concrete idea or visualization of, of the future. Yeah. So bringing you back a little, you are a music education PhD student. What kind of music do you do? Ah, yeah. So... My primary instrument is the saxophone, and I did not have a choice of doing music. Um, my as as I was growing up, my mom um, and my parents, yeah, like yeah, you're gonna do music because it's a part of your blood. My grandfather, his name is Jay McShan, and he was a jazz piano player, and um, he had his big band in Kansas City um, and also had his band um, in in New York and traveled all over. His, his big band that was in Kansas City was the first big band that Charlie Parker played in. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm very grateful. And so I, I did not have a choice in regards to if I was going to do music or not. And so my mom had me start with piano and um, every week, you know, my family, we'd go over to my grandpa's house on Sundays. And it was really interesting because, um, you know, he did, he did jazz and he, he always felt as though he, he, he told me, he said, Amy, just make sure you learn how to read music really well. 
you know, that will get you to um, that that will open up um, more possibilities for you. Just make sure you can really read. And I was like, OK. Um, and I took that to heart. And uh, and so uh, I had um, music lessons and um, on piano and music lessons on saxophone. And yeah, I thought that the way to go was the way by reading music. I was, um, I don't know. It, so throughout high school and um, college, I did both jazz and classical music. And whenever I became a music teacher, I was able to be in a cover band with uh, the other music teachers within the district. It was a, an incredible experience with lovely musicians. Um, and now um, I don't have as much of an opportunity to play as much as I'd like, but I, when I do get to play, I actually am able to engage in other types of music like um, um, West African drumming ensembles. Um, there's a particular uh, drum instructor in Lansing that I've been able to learn from. Her name is uh, Pele Jemaya, and um, she's, it's been a great outlet for, for, for music making as a graduate student. Community seems really important to you. Are there any communities back in Lansing that are like a huge part of your life that you really like to support and promote? Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, Black Lives Matter Lansing. They've definitely helped me develop as a community activist or as um, I've been able to kind of uh, develop what it is that I want to see within a community and how I can help, how I can help create that um, within any community. So just being amongst people who who are who are just trying to, you know, just live life, right? And and um, and I guess trying to find the best way to you know, help folks live life, right? And not be afraid of walking down the street in a hoodie, wearing, um, you know, with, with Skittles in your pocket, you know? Um, so trying to, uh, yeah. So Black Lives Matter Lansing for sure. And then another one is uh, the Salas Center. It just opened about a year ago, but they um, are making big waves within the Lansing community. Uh, it's a space for uh, queer people of color and um, queer and trans people of color in Lansing. And um, and if you go to their website, salascenter.com um, or .org, but Salas Center Lansing, Google, you'll find it. Um, you'll be able to uh, see the many types of programming that they do within the uh, within the Lansing community. Yeah, and then also just my entire community in Lansing. Um, um, my partner Quinn and um, all of all of my support that I've had throughout throughout my time in graduate school. 
Yeah, you've mentioned your partner. Does being does being queer help you in your research? Like, do you find that you've come through another avenue in that research because of how, like, because of your place in music? Um, so I guess um, the way that uh, my identities intersect, it's um, it influences everything that I do, and so thinking about who's visible and who's not visible and um, who is being highlighted and who's not being highlighted, who's at the table, who's not at the table, right? That definitely influences uh, my choices within within my research. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on our podcast. Yes, thank you as well. I really appreciate it. And I also would like to um, uh, um, say a sincere thank you um, to Jesse and David for uh, bringing me to JMU uh, for this week. It's been an incredible uh, learning experience for me, and I certainly hope that the community of uh, here at JMU have been able to, you know, think about uh, some different applications within uh, some of the sessions and conversations that we've had. So I have to just say thank you all around and also thank you to you, Becca. This has been a great, great conversation. Mm -hmm. And thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of Conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at JMU Cohen Center. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Our intro and outro music come from Phase 3 by Zylo Zico. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org.